Let's just pray before we read God's word. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word that you've given us. Lord, we pray now that as we read it that you will open our hearts to what you have to say, Lord. We pray that um, you will shape us and mould us more in Jesus' image. In his name we pray. Amen. Matthew 7. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged and with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if, he, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognise them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognise them. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose up, the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Thanks, Carl. It's great to uh, be here again uh, this morning. If you're uh, visiting with us this morning, uh, welcome. Uh, My sister's visiting here this morning, so uh, welcome to uh, my sister. And just uh, by the way, it would be great if everyone could sort of just say some really encouraging things at the end of the service. Uh, just about how, how much you love having me here and all that kind of stuff. 
And uh, what I'll do is I'll leave some suggested comments up here on the, uh, on the lectern that you can come and check out at the end of the service uh, in case you're a bit stumped. But uh, <laughs> I know, Ben, you won't have any trouble thinking of something nice to say. But uh, today we're coming to the end, uh, I guess, of, this series on the ser- uh, of our series on the Sermon of the Mount. Uh, and, and we're coming to the end, uh, for the time being, of our, of our series through uh, Matthew. We're going to be moving on to think about Easter uh, over the coming weeks. But we're coming to the end of this section where Jesus has been teaching his disciples about what it means to follow him. Uh, and as we do that, we come to another conundrum. You might remember uh, a few weeks ago that, we, ha- that we, we came up against this conundrum, which was, how do you, at the same time, do your good deeds before people and not do your acts of righteousness in front of them as well? How do, you, how do you both do your good deeds in front of people and not do acts of righteousness in front of them? There is that conundrum. Uh, well, this morning we have, uh, I think, another great uh, mystery, another great uh, conundrum, which is how do you both not judge people and at the same time be on the lookout for false teachers, false prophets? How do you test those people by evaluating the fruits of their life and not judge them? How do you hold those two things together? How do you both judge people and not judge them? Hopefully, uh, as we try and think about how those two things uh, fit together, we'll get a much clearer idea of what Jesus is saying about uh, judging and not judging and in particular about what really is at stake at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Well, Jesus starts with that uh, that famous command, doesn't he? Uh, Do not judge. Uh, Since the beginning of chapter 5, Jesus has been explaining what uh, the lives of people who follow and trust him really look like. He said that they're lives of eminent holiness, not lives of the narrow kind of holiness that we might think of. You know, we might just think of not murdering, not committing adultery. But even though uh, Jesus, the righteousness Jesus is calling people to is not less than that, it's also so much more. It's a holiness, isn't it, which exhibits itself in poverty of spirit, mourning over sin, that kind of meek trust in God, hungering and thirsting after righteousness, being merciful, being pure in heart, suffering persecution with joy, making peace. What Jesus has been talking about is lives characterised by the very characteristics of God. Lives characterised, as we saw last week, by the passionate pursuit of God rather than the passionate pursuit of money or the passionate pursuit of regard and acclaim from people. And as Jesus gets to the end of talking about all those things, he gives us this warning, do not judge or you too will be judged, for in the same way you judge others, you too will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. We've seen, as we read through before and as I've said already, that that later on in this chapter Jesus uh, says, well, that we have to discern these false teachers and these, and these prophets. So evidently we need to exercise some kind of judgement. So what exactly then is Jesus warning about? Well, the answer to that uh, question lies, I think, in verses 3 to 5 of chapter 7, where Jesus says this. He says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own. How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, 
First take the, the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. The picture is ridiculous, isn't it? It's, it's comical. Uh, when I was a child and still I kind of had this vision of this person with this enormous plank protruding from their eye and they're sort of you know, fishing around trying to, to extract something from their friend's eye. It's a ridiculous picture. It's stupid. But what is the point that Jesus is trying to get at? What is Jesus actually warning against? I think the, the solution to that lies in these words, you hypocrite. In chapter 6, that word came up a lot. Jesus used it several times to describe those people whose so-called acts of righteousness were done in front of other people. Those people were doing their acts of righteousness to get regard and acclaim from other people rather than doing them out of a passionate pursuit for God. In other words, the hypocrites in chapter 6 were the people who didn't possess the authentic kingdom righteousness that Jesus was calling people to. They were the people who, who weren't actually following Jesus. They were the, the people who were deceived about where they stood with God. They thought that they were following God, but they weren't. They were actually just following themselves. In other words, the hypocrites are the people who think they know God, but they don't. I don't think Jesus is saying here in this passage, you know, he's not saying you might struggle with selfishness, you know, so don't judge other people who struggle with selfishness and fail to see that you're selfish yourself. I don't think that's just what Jesus is talking about. He's not just saying don't see the, the faults in other people and realise that you have the same fault. He's saying something more serious, much more sinister in fact than that. I don't think the plank that Jesus is talking about in our own eye is just another sin. The problem that the person with the plank in their eye has is that they are an utter hypocrite. The plank is not just any other sin, but the plank is the wholesale denial of the gospel. The danger that Jesus is warning against is this, that you spend all your time looking at the sins of other people and seeing their faults and fail to realise that you've never really repented and turned to Jesus Christ. The danger is judgmentalism, yes, you know, being judgmental of other people, but the great danger of being judgmental is that you fail to consider at all your own spiritual condition. The danger is you get so caught up with the, other, with the errors of other disciples of Jesus that you fail to see that you yourself are unconverted and unsaved. There are some people uh, who almost try and judge themselves into the kingdom of heaven. They try and judge themselves into salvation uh, and so they might ask themselves a question like this, where do I stand with God? And then they ask, well, am I, am I poor in spirit? Well, I'm not like Bob. At least I'm not like Bob because Bob is proud, isn't he? Bob is so proud and so self-righteous. Do I mourn over sin? Well, I'm not like Jane because whenever you confront Jane with sin, Jane always defends herself. At least I'm not like Jane. Do I hunger and thirst after righteousness? Well, at least I'm not like uh, those uh, gay people out in the community who think that they can hold on to sin and follow Jesus. At least I'm not like that. Those judgments might be right and true judgments 
about where those other people are at. But according to Jesus, the problem is much deeper than that. The problem is often that in making those judgments, we fail to assess our own spiritual condition and to see that see where we really stand before God. The danger, I think, as we come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount is this, that having heard all these great things that Jesus is calling us to, having heard about being poor in spirit and mourning and being merciful and making peace and suffering persecution with joy, having heard all those things, we spend all our time evaluating where everybody else is at and never take a moment to look at where we're at. Instead of seeking refuge in Jesus, we seek refuge in the fact that, that we're better than Bob and Jane and everybody else. The danger is that we're caught up so much in everyone else's failings that we fail to see our own. And being bitter and judgmental of the sins of others is a great uh, marker, a great indicator, I think, that a person themselves has never grasped the gospel. Well, that's really the, uh, the first point uh, that Jesus is making. Don't be so busy seeing the specks in other people's eyes that you fail to see that the great plank of gospel denial is still uh, in your own eye. Which I suppose then uh, leaves us at the end of this sermon as well asking the question, well, how then does a person get into the kingdom of, of heaven? If they don't get in by judging other people, how do they get into the kingdom of heaven? Uh, And in response to that, Jesus uh, says this in verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Jesus isn't uh, just talking about anything there. He's not saying ask for a new bike and Jesus will give you a bike. Uh, He's talking specifically about entering the kingdom of heaven. Uh, The particular thing comes out In verse 12 he says, So in everything do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. You might remember back a few weeks ago in Matthew 5 that Jesus had said how he had come to fulfil the law and the prophets. Remember that he was going to do everything that the law and the prophets foreshadowed and promised. He was going to bring those things to reality. What the law and the prophets foreshadowed was a new community centred and formed around Jesus, God's majestic son. A new community of people remade by Jesus to live for him and to love him, to be blameless and to be set apart and to be holy. And what Jesus is doing is as he comes to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he's saying, what should you ask for? What should you seek? What should you pound on the door of heaven until you get? What should you be seeking? You should be seeking that God would make you a new person through Jesus. That's what he's saying. What should you ask for? Ask that God would make you a new person through Jesus and through the Holy Spirit. Ask that he would make you follow Jesus and live out that kingdom righteousness which Jesus has been speaking about. How can you embark on this life of following Jesus? Ask for it. Seek it and pound on the door of heaven until God gives it to you. In contrast then to being judgmental, the way into the kingdom of heaven is simply through having the humility to seek it from the hand of God, to to ask God to do what he's promised. 
And here is the amazing assurance that Jesus gives us as well. Jesus says, if you ask for that, if you seek that, God will give it. Everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds. To him who knocks, the door will be opened. Of course that's true, isn't it? And yet don't we have so much trouble believing that? And isn't one of the greatest stumbling blocks for people entering the kingdom of heaven for, for following Jesus, isn't one of the greatest stumbling blocks, not that they believe that God is able to save them, but that but they doubt that God is willing. And so Jesus says in verse 9, he says, which of you, if, he, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a, a snake? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? That is, if our, if our heavenly fathers, uh, sorry, if our earthly fathers, as messed up as they are, can give us good gifts, how much more will God? And so if you're here today and you're struggling with that issue, if you're doubting that God is willing to save you, then, then think on that, meditate on that. Think of all the good gifts that you've ever received in your life. Think about how messed up this world is and yet how many gifts you've still received and then multiply that and expand that and understand that God, our perfect Father, gives gifts in, in, in so much greater abundance than any gift we've ever received in this earth. The way into a life of trusting and following Jesus is not by judging ourselves to be better than everyone else. It's not by climbing up a, a kind of moral ladder. The way into the kingdom of God and to following Jesus is through humble prayer. It's through asking and seeking and knocking. So Jesus uh, tells us then uh, those two opposites, uh, that we don't get into the kingdom by judging and that we get in by asking and seeking and knocking and finally he puts before us in the last uh, part of chapter 7, he puts before us these three lots of two ways. In a sense what Jesus is doing as he gets to the end of chapter 7 is kind of really outlining what is, is uh, important. He's saying what you need most of all is not to judge, not to judge others, but to judge yourself. What you need to do most of all is to evaluate yourself and then he expands on that. How do we do that? How do we see where we're at? Well, he expands on that with those two gates, two trees and two builders. In verses 13 to 14, Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. There are two gates or two ways. The broad way leads to destruction and the narrow way leads to life. The distinction that Jesus is making is not between uh, an easy way uh, and a hard way, that you know, the broad way is easy and the narrow way is hard. The, di- the distinction that Jesus is making is between a way which lots of people find and a way which few people find. The broad way, everybody finds. That's what he says and the narrow way to life, few people get there. In other words, what Jesus is saying is few people find the right way. Few people actually make it into the kingdom of God. So 
So how do we know whether we're on that narrow way which few people find or if we're on the broad way? The answer to that comes in the next section in verses 15 to 20 where Jesus goes on to talk about the two trees. He says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognise them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree, good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus by their fruit you will recognise them. It's a pretty kind of clear illustration, isn't it? Good trees bear good fruit, bad trees bear bad fruit. What Jesus is saying is that we need discernment. We need to be on the lookout for false teachers because false teachers lead people down the wrong path. They lead people down that broad path that lots of people find and away from the narrow path that few people find. Jesus isn't saying uh, too only that we need to look out for false ministers and false preachers and false elders and false writers of Christian books. What Jesus is saying is that we need to look out for anybody who claims to follow Christ and is leading people down the wrong path. Anyone who claims to be a Christian and, and denies the truth and leads people down that broad way is a false teacher or a false prophet. So how do we identify them? Well, we identify them not so much by what they say but by how they live. You can tell them by the fruit, Jesus says, or by the, the, the way that they live. Uh, so what kind of things uh, does, what kind of bad fruit does a false teacher exhibit and what kind of good fruit does a true follower of Jesus uh, exhibit? And Jesus goes on to answer that in the next section. In verse 21 he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. I think uh, those words are probably the most terrifying words in all the Bible. They're talking about the day of judgment uh, when Jesus is going to come back to judge the living and the dead and what they're talking about is people who come up to Jesus on that last day and say, Jesus, I was following you, I knew you and Jesus says, I have no idea who you are. Have you ever, have you ever had that uh, when, you, when you're walking through the shopping centre or you go to a party or something and you, and you meet someone and you say, you know, I, I'm sure we've met before and they say, no, I, I'm, I'm sure I've never met you. It's, it's embarrassing, isn't it? It's awkward. But Jesus is talking about something far more sinister and far more distressing. He's talking about the day of judgement when people will say to Jesus, I, I, I'm sure I was following you. These people aren't saying, these people aren't getting to the day of judgement and saying, boy, I wish I had have followed Jesus. They're getting to the day of judgment and they're saying, I was following Jesus. And Jesus says, I, I'm sure we've never met. These people will have done great things. I, I think that's what's so disturbing about it. These people will have done great things in the name of Jesus. They will have preached the gospel. 
They will have shared the gospel with their friends. They, would have brought, they will have brought people to Christ. They will, Jesus says some of them will even have driven out demons and performed miracles and yet Jesus has no idea who they are. At the end of the day what Jesus is saying is that it's not great miracles that mark a person out as in the kingdom of heaven or not but it's whether or not they did the will of his Father in heaven. Uh, George Whitfield, I've mentioned him a million times probably already in the last eight months, but George Whitfield, that famous 18th century evangelist, knew that reality. Uh, he was used by God possibly more than anyone else in the whole history of the world to bring people to salvation. But he knew that what counted was not great, great works for God but great following of Christ. This is what he wanted to be written on his tombstone. The great day will show what kind of man he was. Isn't that interesting? He knew that people could look at the wonderful things that he had done, the people that he had saved, the, the conversions that had happened under his ministry, but what counted was God's judgement on the last day and whether or not he knew Christ and was following Christ or whether he wasn't. You might speak with great eloquence for God, you might surrender your body to the flames, you might die as a Christian martyr, you might give everything you own to the poor, but Jesus says if you're not loving and following him then it's all a waste of time. And so Jesus finishes with these uh, verses in in. Uh, verse 24 and 27 he says, Therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and, put, and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. Here is the great dividing line between all of humanity. Those who hear Jesus' words and trust him and follow him and those who don't. And this is the question that Jesus is putting to us at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Which kind of person are we? At its most basic, the Sermon on the Mount is not about a call to get saved. It's not even about a call to receive forgiveness from God. At its most basic, the Sermon on the Mount is a call to choose Jesus and the Father or to choose sin to choose life or death, to choose deliverance from the stranglehold which sin has over our lives or to choose to hang on to it. It's a call to embrace the way of truth rather than the way of lies and deception. It's not a call to better standards as we've seen. It's not a call to better rules but it's a call to turn from slavery to sin to the power of God. It's a call to repent and believe.
to turn from sin and to trust and follow Jesus. You can hang on to your sin, you can keep it, you can keep your anger, you can keep your idolatry, you can keep your pride and your public displays of righteousness, you can keep your worry and your self-love, you can keep all that or you can set it aside and follow and trust Jesus. You can ask him to give you that new life centred on him. At the end of our five weeks of looking at the Sermon on the Mount, uh, here is the danger that Jesus alerts, alerts us to. We can be so busy judging others that we fail to see the monstrous plank in our own eyes, which is the denial of the gospel. We don't get into the kingdom of heaven, though, by judging others. We get into the kingdom by asking God, by seeking it from the hand of God and by asking Jesus to do what he's promised. The way of following Jesus is a narrow way and few people find it. Which way are you on? Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, these are uh, hard words to hear Uh, and Lord, they're also easy words to dismiss. So quickly we move on, Lord, to the next song and to the next prayer and to the next thing in life and we never take the, the time to stop and to think and to examine and to pray and to humble ourselves before your mighty throne. Lord, we ask that not one of us would be found in that position, that on the last day we say that we knew you and we discover when it's too late that we never did. Lord, the great day will show what kind of person each of us was We ask that that great day would show that each of us knew Jesus Christ and the power which comes from his hand, the forgiveness which comes from his death and the hope that comes from his life. We ask it in his name. Amen.